Welcome to Media Path. I'm Louise Palanker. And I'm Fritz Coleman. We've got a special show for you today featuring my dear friend, iconic songwriting diva, Diane Warren. Her path is warm and winding and thick with diligence and drive. And the soundtrack, of course, is gorgeous. Diane's vocal will be hitting this podcast after an intro performed by Fritz and me, where we share a few media recommendations for you. So, Fritz, what have you got for us? All right, I've got a movie I'm really excited about. This is Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, released on HBO this past week. It's a biographical drama, and I just think it's so beautifully timed in the midst of our current Black Lives Matter conversation. This is the true story of Fred Hampton. In the 60s, Fred was a charismatic activist, a gifted public speaker, and he rose to become the chairman of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party. And his rise made him a target of the Chicago police and the FBI. Now, this is in the 60s, and you and I have talked about this, Wheezy. J. Edgar Hoover had an obsessive fear of the rise of black power in the United States. Hoover wanted to stop the revolution, and he wanted to do it from the inside, which brings in William O'Neill. In the 60s, O'Neill was a 17-year-old petty thief that got busted in Chicago for jacking a car, and the FBI told him they would drop all the charges if he would work undercover as an informant. And he accepted, and he was sent to infiltrate the Chicago Panthers, feed the Bureau information, try to get next to Fred Hampton, and he was successful at all that. He passed lots of pertinent information to the FBI, and Fred was ultimately arrested and sent to prison. And when he gets out, J. Edgar Hoover orders Hampton, quote, neutralized, end of quote. That's where I'm going to stop. This is a terrific piece of civil rights history. Law enforcement considered this group terrorists, the Panthers. But you learn why the Panthers were considered heroes of the African-American communities. They started the Free Breakfast for Children program. You learn about how Fred Hampton made pacts with rival gangs that went on to become what's called the Rainbow Coalition. Fred is beautifully played in this film by Daniel Kaluuya. He's been nominated for Best Supporting Actor in the upcoming Golden Globes. William O'Neill, the informant played by Lakeith Stanford. Excellent work. Everybody in this movie is great. And if you're interested, another good movie that you and I have talked about, Wheezy, about the dark quest of J. Edgar Hoover to stop the momentum of the African-American Revolution in the 60s is MLK FBI. This is uh, uh, literally the same thing, Hoover's target, and this time it's Dr. Martin Luther King, but just like he did with Fred Hampton, his methods are dark and despicable. Really good movie. And another overlapping film, to a certain extent, is Chicago 7, in which- Absolutely. Same uh, Fred time period. Mm-hmm. Right. And so uh, I'm going to recommend something uh, a little different. It's Nomadland, and I think you'll find it on Hulu. I think we're seeing a lot of films sort of streaming uh, a little bit that would have opened in in theaters. I don't know if to get them shortlisted for the Academy Awards, they have to play in an empty theater for a night to qualify or something. But this <laughs> film, I think, is is headed uh, Oscar's way. It's uh, Frances McDormand plays Fern, who loses her home when the factory in her town closes. So she pulls up stakes and heads out west. She, well, she's in the West, but she heads out across the West, driving and living in her van, taking itinerant jobs and facing her past and her future in the quiet moments and in the community of folks she meets along the way. 
based on a nonfiction book by Jessica Bruder, Nomadland, Surviving America in the 21st Century. Nomadland is directed, written, and edited by Chloe Zhao and produced by Chloe Zhao and Francis McDormand. The film also features David Strathairn and real-life nomads Linda May Swanky and Bob Wells, who portray sort of fictionalized versions of themselves. It's a rich and thoughtful look at hardship, homelessness, and the choices we make along the way. Awesome. I'll watch her do anything. Oh, yeah. No, I just love she's, her. You can't well, I'm going to recommend a book here. Do you read it all? This is a good book. <laughs> uh, it's called Why We Are Polarized. It's by Ezra Klein. Ezra's an MSNBC contributor. He's the editor-at-large at Vox. He's written for New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. If you look back over the last four years and thought, what the hell just happened? This book takes a stab at some answers. Klein's premise is this. And it's weird, but it's interesting. The American political system isn't broken. As a matter of fact, the system is working exactly the way it was designed to work. It's the way the system itself is set up that polarizes us. Klein says all the moving parts are functioning properly. The problem is they're combining into a dysfunctional whole. There are design flaws. There are good intentions gone bad. And the problem is the way the two-party system is set up. Back in the 50s and 60s, political commentators criticized the system, saying the parties were too similar. They didn't give the voters enough choice. Now we're exactly the opposite. And why? It's identity politics. We're no longer driven by party identity. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. We're driven by personal identity, psychological identity. I'm a uh, disenfranchised white guy. I'm a Black Lives Matter person. He shows us how the system was actually built for the rise of Donald Trump and actually built for the Democrats to shift leftward. He doesn't take sides. It's a study on the data and what he's learned as a career as a political reporter. And if you're interested in this book, it's really fascinating. It's, just, it's like a 30,000-foot view of what we just went through. It's, it's like an architectural look at how the system is set up to do what it just did, which is to put the orange menace into office. If you're interested... In understanding how we ended up so tribal, there's a great book called Political Tribes. It's by Amy Chua. She's a professor at Yale, and she's the woman that wrote the whole Tiger Mom thing, which was a huge deal a few years ago. It's really interesting. But is he hopeful about the future, about our ability to— I, he, he doesn't—honestly, uh, he doesn't go out on a limb. It's very, very sort of centrist. He doesn't, he doesn't say so. He just gives the facts, ma'am, and, and lets you decide on your own. Mm -hmm. He really doesn't posit whether he feels like there's a future in all this. Well, when we live in such a tribal time where people are only privy to the their information that they handpick, it just, I, I worry because we all see our friends on social media who seem so ill-informed and, and there's a temptation to respond, but you know, it's just going to lead to an argument. So uh, it feels, it feels like disinformation is the enemy here. And I don't know how. Yeah. We're all in our, uh, our echo chambers. That's the problem. Yeah. Well, I'm going to recommend the black church. It's on PBS, the black church. This is our story. This is our song is a moving four hour two part series from executive producer, host and writer, Henry Louis Gates, Jr., who I think is one of America's greatest teachers. This two-part PBS film traces the 400-year-old story of the black church in America. 
I have often wondered why black folks adopted the religion of their captors when they surely must have come to America with their own beliefs and customs. But as Professor Gates explains, there was much in the Hebrew Bible and in the story of Jesus with which Americans held as slaves readily identified. The book of Exodus, for example, slaves escaping persecution in Egypt, the treatment of Jesus at the hands of the Roman occupiers. Slave owners initially attempted to cherry pick Bible stories in an effort to keep slaves docile. But once these stories and their messages were made available, black people rapidly made them their own and the black church became their refuge, their voice, their hope, their organizing headquarters. One place they were allowed to go and be together was at church. So many of our black leaders from Dr. Martin Luther King to Reverend Al Sharpton to Reverend Raphael Warnock have come out of the black church. And this is just a fascinating insight into an important portion of American history. I love him. I love the uh, stuff he does with Ancestry.com and taking stars back through their roots. It's oh, a humbling yeah. experience. Uh, he's, he's, he's truly wonderful. He really is a great teacher. So our guest, and I'm so excited, is iconic songwriter Diane Warren, currently Academy shortlisted for the original song, EOC Scene, addressing the universal human need to be seen. With music by Diane Warren and lyrics by Diane Warren, Laura Pussini, and Nic Nicola Agliardi, the song is performed by Laura Pussini for the Netflix film The Life Ahead with Sophia Loren. Diane is also Golden Globe-nominated and Critics' Choice Association nominated for this song. Beautiful. And Diane's song, Free, from Disney's The One and Only Ivan, is also shortlisted. This song is performed by Charlie Puth. Diane Eve Warren is an American songwriter. She rose to prominence in 1983 and has since written scores of chart-topping hits for a great multitude of performers. And for many films, Diane's hit songs include Unbreak My Heart by Tony Braxton, Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now, Starship, How Do I Live, Leanne Rimes, and Trisha Yearwood. Do you have a preferred version, Diane? I love them both. <laughs> there you go. Spoken like a mom. <laughs> she gives birth to her songs. Because You Loved Me, Celine Dion, Blame It on the Rain, which Diane actually sang and they lip synced to it. I heard. Uh, Rhythm of the Night, DeBarge, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, Aerosmith. Diane has won a Grammy Award, an Emmy Award, a Golden Globe Award, three consecutive Billboard Music Awards for Songwriter of the Year, and has been nominated for 11 Academy Awards. She has been inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame and received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. She controls rights over her music through her publishing company, Real Songs. Diane, where does all of your musical talent come from? I, I think you're kind of born with a talent and it's what you do with it, right? We all have yeah. our talent and I kind of you know I just felt I could do what I do and I, I work really hard at it I'm at work now I've been writing all day in fact you're you guys are invading on my writing space <laughs> I know I, I, I yeah no I really do know that about you that you would brat that that on your bumper sticker it should say I would rather be songwriting because that's always your preferred location absolutely but you're I, I, go, go ahead, ahead Fritz I, I I don't want to dwell on this but the data about you what? is un the data about you is unbelievable. You you you're the first person to have seven hits by seven different artists on the charts at the same time. Yeah, and all different. And, and even what I, what I'm doing right now, I'm in 
you know, we went from, you know, Ringo to, you know, because I, I actually did a song that has the two Beatles on it called Here's to the Nights. Wow. So wow. That, like, that's a pinch me moment, you know, and that'll always be a pinch me moment. But I mean, so everyone from that to Reba McIntyre to Charlie Puth to, you know, Ty Dolla Sign right now. So it's, you know, <laughs> kind of, I'm keep, I'm always kind of all over the place. Who are your favorite current writers that you look, who you find fascinating? I don't know. So I don't really, I just kind of listen to records. So I don't even know, you know who wrote most of them. Oh. Now, when you were growing I, I like up, I like to listen to to what's going on, just so I'm so I'm because I'm working with a lot of different artists and stuff, a lot of new artists. So just be in the culture so that you know what's kind of yeah, you have to. I think that's probably the key to my longevity. Too. Yeah, like what's touching people's hearts in the moment. And yeah. when you were growing up, you, I know that your dad kind of caught I, on. I, I know I'm, you know it's a work in progress. I get it, but I, I yes, but your dad kind of caught on that this was something that could click for you way ahead of your mom, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, my dad was super supportive. I mean, he's the one who bought me a, a little guitar from Tijuana when I was like 10 or 11, you know, and I just got, I just kind of got glued to that guitar and just started making up my own songs. And my mom wasn't, you know, super supportive, no, but, you know, my dad saw that I had, that I had something. You know, and your and dad would call radio stations and request your songs. Yeah, maybe not when I was 10 or 11, though. No. <laughs> Um, they wouldn't be my songs because they were horrible. Was you, you, is it true that you wrote Celine Dion's Because You Loved Me for your dad? I was thinking about my dad, yeah. I wrote it for the movie Up Close and Personal. Mm. But I, when I tapped into writing that song, I was I was thanking my dad. And here's an interesting little fact is the Oscars this year on my dad's birthday. Oh, wow. wow. I'm going That's like, why it's very important that you take one away for the uh, karmic circle. Yeah. Continuum. Yeah, I think that statue looks a little bit like your dad also. <laughs> My dad was bald. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. uh, your dad, he kind of was someone that made you feel seen. I think the way the, in the song that you wrote yeah. in the Sophia Loren movie, like I think it's so important for kids to be seen, not, you know, not just for grownups, but especially for kids to be seen. And your dad yeah. saw you. And I know you wrote When I'm Back on My Feet Again for Michael Bolton. You wrote that song for your, for your dad as well. So he was well, a that was really interesting. Yeah, that was, wasn't really written for my dad, but I felt like it was being written really from my dad. My oh, dad wow. Passed. Yeah, it's, it was a really, you know, strange experience. And as far as seeing, it's interesting. These, this kids' choir just did a version of it. And this woman who, who run, runs the choir said this song means so much to these kids. And they, they did a little video of talking about what the song means to them. So, you know, that song's really kind of, you know, I, I just think it's a special song. So I think right now, especially we got what you guys were just talking about, like, you know, the tribal nature of what's going on. Like, we don't see each other right now, you know, mm-hmm. just see each other if you're politics or whatever. But, or, you know, and, and in the movie, you know, it's, it's the characters are, you know, certainly not seen, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. But yeah, they're almost culturally designed to be invisible. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to see, like, say, Sophia Loren's character, an old former prostitute that takes care of other prostitutes, kids, you know, or Momo, the young boy that, you know, is a little juvenile delinquent like I was. <laughs> not, I wasn't. I mean, you know, <laughs> kind of was. Um, but, you know, but any, everybody sees him as like a little thief and, and you know, but yet their bond, they, they have this beautiful, you know, arc of the story, how they fight, how they, how they really see each other. 
So when you write a song for a film, do you get the same luxury that a composer has, which is to see the whole film and then plug your song into it? Or do they just commission you to do it and sort of describe what the movie's like? It's different. Um, With this this movie, with with The Life Ahead, I I, I was given the script, you know, and I read the script and I just kept the whole, I kept seeing this word scene because of what I just said. And I just kind of sat, you know, I, I didn't see any scenes. And then, oh, and I went to Italy, to, to Bari, Italy, where, where Sofia was, um, was filming. And I spent like a day on the set. I wanted to soak up kind of the vibe of it, you know. But one funny thing is I wanted to take a selfie with her, of course, who wouldn't? And she goes, I can't take it right now. I'm dying and I have no makeup on. <laughs> In the scene. Oh. In the scene. This is my death pallor. Yeah. I will not yeah. be photographed. It's like, I got it. I'm like, we'll get another time, Sophia. She's so amazing. Oh, wow. You know? So is she, is she just as radiant in, in, in her presence as she is on the screen? Beautiful inside and beautiful outside. And we just did, a, um, we just did a, one of those um, Q&As, um, screen Q&As. And at the end of it, she said that my song was the most beautiful song she had ever heard in her life. Oh, Lord. Sort of That's all you need right footage of it. It exists, you know? Wow. Oh, wow. I love that. I, I agree with her. It's a stunning, stunning song. Pre-career, did you, when you were young, before your dad bought you the Tijuana 12-string or whatever? No, that, was a, that was just a regular guitar. Oh, okay. 12-string. Uh, I bought <laughs> my dad for the 12-string later after I, you know, I said, if I got nothing less than a B, so... My F oh, for one semester was was a. But but is it true that you used to listen to the radio and fantasize about performing on the radio yourself? So this is no, a not me. No, I would I would fantasize about other people performing my songs. Oh, you know, I never thought about me ever. I never wanted to be an artist. So you always saw yourself as a songwriter, which is like oh, yeah. like really unique for a kid because most kids. They just want to be famous. They don't even care the means. They just want fame or attention. I wanted, or, I, I wanted to be famous, but I wanted to be a famous songwriter. Yeah, and and you have doggedly pursued it. And I, I just want people to know that Diane isn't just a talented person. She's also a business person, and she has this kind of masterful command of what is necessary for success. And she Diane is so plucky. She would do things like she got well, she'll tell you this. She would get a job as a messenger so that she could go and she, you know, she'd give them their package and then she'd give them her cassette. She tell the story about how you lobbed a cassette, you recognized the music guy and you lobbed a cassette into his car because <laughs> you're driving a convertible. I, I mean it was at the time. I kind of forgot. But I, I did yeah, I've always been a hustler. You know, I've always kind of known that, you know, my future is in my own hands and my career's in my own hands. So I never expect I never sat back like like I'm still to this day like everything I have going on you know is, is stuff that I make happen you know in the face of people a lot of people saying ah you can't do this you get as soon as like someone says that you can't do that to me it makes me want to do it like a hundred times more and then somehow I kind of just do it so now you that you've it. reached you this aspect of your career and, and say you write a song that you think Cher would do well. Do you <laughs> just good. call her up or does do, do, does she seek you out or how, how does that dynamic I mean, work? I've, I've done like 20 songs for Cher, but you know, of course the biggest hit we ever did together, she hated. That's a whole And you have story. to grab her by the leg when I it comes to her leg in, by the leg in the studio. She, say, I'm not letting go of your leg until you say you will try. No. And that literally happened. It, it did. Yeah. Wow. You know, 
Um, but that kind of worked out, you know, um, <laughs> but you know, if, if I have a song for somebody, you know, and it's kind of one good thing that, you know, about this horrible pandemic is a lot of artists are very reachable. Interesting. And also, and, and do you, you do a demo for them and send them your version of it or do you get somebody else yeah. to do it for you? Sometimes I'll do it. Like I'll just do like a guitar vocal or a piano vocal of, of something, or I'll just, I'll do a full on demo. Sometimes it's like, you know, on occasion, depending on who the artist is and stuff, sometimes just simple piano vocal, you know, depending on what kind of song it is, if it's more of like a record kind of song, more up-tempo, obviously you need a more produced demo, but you know, and I, and I, and I have good producers that you know, we make, we make them sound like records, but yeah, they make great uh, demos. Yeah. yeah. But sometimes there's some, there's nothing like a simple demo, you know, of just, you know, even if I sound like shit on it, I kind of put the emotion in it. Mm. Exactly. So it's stripped down. This is just the song. And then you can envision it whatever, however you would like. And no one's going to get intimidated going, how can I sing that better? No one. <laughs> no one person will ever say that. So you have no desire to do the Carol King route and be the singer-songwriter with massive concerts and all that well, kind of thing? I'm going to do, you know, I'll do something, you know, I have something in mind and I'm just going to do it for the kind of for the fuck of doing it. You know, so like, but I'm doing, but I am doing a record, a features record you know, which is kind of me, you know, curating my songs with all kinds of artists, with, you know, they're a wide variety. It's kind of what a DJ does, so DJ Diane. Oh, that's going to be cool. Great idea. Yeah. So I got John Legend, great song from John Legend, to Ty Dolla Sign. I love the Ty Dolla Sign song. To, um, you know, um, Santana, G-Eazy, to um, Celine Dion, to, um, you know, I mean, there's so many people, Louise Fonzie. You know, there's so many people on this record, so many great songs. Does right the now, my problem is I have to figure out, you know, the 12 songs that are going to be on there. And I have like about 18 of them. So, yeah, you could do an online poll. Yeah, I got no, no. Nah. Does the perfect <laughs> song, does the perfect song have a bridge and a modulation? No, I don't really do a lot of modulations these days. Oh, okay. And not every song has to have a bridge. It's, I mean, I tend to put them in songs, but. You know, this, it's every every song is its own country with its own rules and laws. Ah, mm. I love that way of looking at it. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So, so you don't really have a writing process because according to Wheezy, you work all day long. You go in the office and you work. It's not like I have to wait until I'm visited by the muse and then I'll run no, in there and record I something. I show up. I come to work every day. Wheezy knows. You met me. When did we meet, Wheezy? We met in the 80s. We were in the, it was then called the RCA building. We were interviewing Michael Bolton. I was interviewing Michael Bolton and he said, you should meet my friend Diane. Her office is right above yours and you two are both crazy. <laughs> so he, I think, yeah, he went and got you and you came down and we were both awkward, but then we became best friends. So Aww. Because we were we were Hollywood rats, you know, we just kind of ran around Hollywood, but we were both like not party function people. We were both work people. And yeah. Diane was building her career and I was building Premier Radio. And so we were kind of on parallel tracks that we kind of got each other. Exactly. We weren't about like who you knew or where you hung out, but we were about like, let's get this done. We didn't give a shit about it that much. No. <laughs> But it was it was interesting to watch each other's growth because, you know, we were, I think, in our 20s when we met. So there weren't a lot of women that were doing that track. A lot of women, want, you know, long to be moms and 
Diane and I are both, we're both similar in that we, our work is our child. Yeah, absolutely. I prefer animals. Diane definitely prefers animals. And in her home, it's difficult to get a word in because the parrots are, they, they need to be seen. Like <laughs> they need to be, I have actually one parrot now, butt wings. Oh, we're down to butt wings. Yeah. Yeah. He's a butt, butt wings is 28 years old and he lives in the office now. Okay. Yeah. That makes the home a little, a little quieter. Yeah. yeah. I have a cat. At home. Oh no. Mouse is the star of the show. So Diane's online presence is it's her and mouse. They have their own internet show. So, and mouse is uh, quite gorgeous. If you want to grab her for the shot, we would, we would love to meet her. She's at my hand. Well, she's actually at the vet. She oh, she's at. Yeah, we're going to pick her up in a little while. Yeah. But I was thinking that for you, Diane, this, the pandemic might be kind of a, a hidden blessing because it gives you reasons to not go places. Okay. Okay. You're so right. Okay. So, like, you know, people go, people are asking me, like, so has it really affected you in a bad way? I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, I'm sitting in my room alone. You know, that's so not changed. And all those dinners I didn't want to go to, that I kept wanting to cancel. I don't have to cancel anymore because I can't have dinner now. Well, I guess you could sit outside. But, yeah, but we're both, you know, Fritz is, Fritz is the same way. Fritz is pretty solitary. So the three of us haven't really been emotionally traumatized. But people who no. need to be social, I think I think they have been a lot more. Well, than I know people, some of my friends that are more the, the social animal types. They, they have not had an easy time of it, but no. high social types like us, we're cool. You know, that being yes. said, I just really, it would be nice to go back to, you know. How long do you think it's going to take people to get comfortable uh, going to large venues like the Hollywood Bowl well, and being elbow to elbow? To... You know, I mean, I, could, I can't talk about other people, but I'm, I'm not going any, anything with large crowds for... I can't even, I mean, I can't imagine when I'm going to ever go to a movie theater. I mean, it's, it's kind of gross anyways, you know, but I don't know. I mean, I miss being in a movie theater and seeing a movie on a mm -hmm. big screen. I think we all have to go in and, and buy a movie theater and then just have our friends come or something. That, that might be nice. Yeah. So uh, am I one of the few people that have been inside your inner, the inner sanctum of your office, not where you are currently, which is the beautiful posh real songs uh, executive suite, but your office where you write, do you want to describe that for folks? It's kind of indescribable. It's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of disgusting. It hasn't been cleaned in decades and I love it in there. And, um, this is the, more of a neat room that my room is as opposite as this room as it gets. And, um, and I have a building now, you know, you I know. So, um, so my studios are there and I do have a writing room there as well, but I haven't, I I, I've been here during the whole pandemic, and oh, one of the really great silver linings is my none of, no one in my office has come to work. It's like I didn't realize how much I don't want them around. <laughs> <laughs> and then and that's nothing personal. They're they're nice people. It's no, just, I I you you're looking at someone who totally gets it. I love people, but I I do I do need a certain amount of solitude to be sane. Me too. So I have so, all the solitude I want here. I fucking love it. You know, and then when, you know, when, when people start coming back, they're going to move into the new building. I'm still going to stay here. Oh, okay. I like that. Yeah, that's impressive. So, so Diane's office where she creates, and I don't know if this is still the case, but 
the, there were CDs and 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 cassette tapes, and they were precariously per, like it was like a yeah. giant Jenga it's still, tower. It's still and, kind of, it's like that. It's still like that. And okay. Diane would say, "Come in, I, I I want you to listen to a song," and she'd sit down behind the keyboard and start to play. And I would, you know, if if you would list slightly, you would knock something off balance, and then it, a cascade. And Diane would, "What did you touch?" I'm like I, I, I was my breath going in and out of my body. I, I, yeah, it's it's a marvel. It is a marvel. But they don't she tells the cleaning crew don't come in here and that's her vibe and that's that's where the magic comes from. My, the you know this room's neat, uh, nice and neat. Um the, the the new building, you know where the studios are is beautiful, you know. I it hasn't turned into me yet. You know, <laughs> me meaning a mess. Um, well, I think you you know you've got what you need in that one room and the rest of your world can be somewhat yeah, all organized. Good, all good. All good. Now, do you are you do you have more attachment for the songs you wrote early in your career or for the song you wrote this morning? The song that I'm working on this morning, yeah. I'm I'm I I don't think back on on old songs to be honest. I'm I'm always on whatever I'm writing now or what I've just done, you know, and what I'm about to do. Like I'm very in the rear few mirrors. Like eh, who cares? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm proud of what I've done, but yeah, what I'm doing and. and during the pandemic, I've, I've been writing some of the best songs I've ever written in my life. Wow. Yeah. Has your writing style changed over the course of your career? Changing yeah. with a different cha- I mean, changes in musical styles? I mean, I, I'm, I'm always pretty, you know, I'm always in a lot of genres, you know. So, you know, I mean, I don't know if my, I mean, I'm, I'm always putting, picking up and putting in new influences. Yeah, you know, because I'm, I'm a sponge to whatever's going on. That's how I stick on. And you do care more about your songs and your animals than you do about people. So, <laughs> oh, the but, secrets. You, <laughs> but you write about all these like deep human emotions in your songs. So are your songs how you experience being human? Like, is that how you best communicate the experience of being human? I mean, I don't, I don't think about it. I like people too. I just like, I like certain people and certain people I don't like. Um, but you know, if I had to choose between, you know, my cat, most people it would definitely be my cat. I mean, it's it's a great cat. I love her. I'll tell you, somebody that uh, loves you is uh, Kenny Phillips. I had dinner with him I last night. Kenny Phillips. He was my first employee. We. Uh, we had a dinner where I sat and for two hours listened to him sing your praises and he sort of described your working environment. I just wanted to get a little bit of a vibe and he sends his love. And I love him. We were just texting like a couple of days ago. Yep. Kenny, yep. Johnny, you know, Kenny. A good man. Great. I feel bad for him because he represents performers and nobody's getting any work. It's just an awful time. Yeah, that's that's what has to change because so many people are hurting right now. And when you think of even the the live music industry is a whole, you know, the whole, there's so many. How, how do you feel about that, Diane? How do you feel like streaming and what the record business used to be and where it is now? I mean, for what I do, it's, I mean, people still want a song and they don't want the song, but I think there's some catching up to do as far as payment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think they could do a better job on Spotify of giving, of crediting everyone who worked on the song. You yeah, know, it's I, several I, clicks in to get to, you know, who wrote you, the song. You know, and then I, who who's singing backup? Who's playing the drums? I I want all that. I know I, I, that's a that's one really messed up thing about it. You know, so you have to try so hard to find stuff that should be it, there. It should be when the record's playing, you should see all that. Information. 
Right. Although there are people on Spotify who have put together Diane Warren lists. So it's easy to just listen to Diane Warren song after Diane Warren song because they've been curated by Spotify users. So oh, nice. it is, it's, inter it's interactive in that regard. Right. And uh, they don't have to look at the writing credits. On. No, but you if you if you're listening to a Diane Warren list, then it's abundantly or sometimes I'm listening to it, getting ready for this show. I was listening to the list. And there were a lot of songs that I hadn't even realized that you wrote that are album cuts that I love. And I hadn't even realized that you wrote them. So, oh, wow. yeah. Wow. So nice. like, yeah. And I, I don't know how much the songwriter makes every time someone on Spotify streams one song. I don't know if it's pennies or a penny, but. I'm not exactly sure either. Yeah. So. Do you have an opinion about, uh, uh, about. The fact that the music production now is going to digital and electronic and less because of the expense. Uh, I don't understand. The going away from live real instruments. Do you have any feeling about that? I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff is programmed. That's fine. You know, I mean, sometimes it's, yeah. a, it's a both, you know, real drums on programmed drums. Yeah, it's getting really it's hard to tell the difference because in a program like Logic, for example, you can get plugins that have like so many different violin sounds that it could oh, be strings nowadays. To me, there's nothing like real strings though. Just yeah, the experience of it, but there's sound. There's like string sounds that you you will not know. You yeah, know. you and it will say oh, yeah. you can have it. Sound you never know that they were not played live. Yeah, you can have it sound like you're in the front row or sound like you're backstage or sound like you're in the back of the theater. Like you can select, you have so much selection. Of course, having having live players is always amazing. Yeah, I love to experience that. It's always great. I did, I did some live stream session um, about six months ago. It's kind of weird where everybody was kind of masked and everything. Yeah. Wow. What's the most exciting part of... Uh, the creation of a song is it the moment you finish it and play it for someone is it the first time you hear it on the radio it's every, the it's it's when i when i finish writing it and i'm really proud of it that's great it's coming up with an idea that i love um you know it's I mean, i'll give you the example of what i was just talking about before is I, I have a song called here's to the nights and ringo asked me if i had a song for him i had i had the song i'd had it for a few years i never knew what to do with it it's just a really great song. It's almost like that. I, I, I don't know. It's this, it's this cool, super cool song. And I, um, I sent it to him and he loved it. I had a whole concept with it. I said, let's, cause it's here's to the nights we won't remember with the friends we won't forget. And I, and, I, and, I, and I said, you should listen to it. It's a really great song. So I said, Ringo, let's get your, your old friends. And my whole, my whole ulterior motive was let's get Paul McCartney. <laughs> your <laughs> old friends, you know, yeah, your old, old friends, like in the Beatles. <laughs> And um, and then so he so he went to Paul and Paul was the first person that said yes. And Cheryl Crow jumped on and Dave Grohl and Joe Walsh and um, Lenny Kravitz. All these people, you know, are on my song. But you know, hearing you know Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr singing together on my song is like just. I mean, that doesn't get more exciting. That was you know. And where did that happen? I mean, I was. There, I heard. I, it was. A, I guess Paul was in England doing his part, and Ringo was here somewhere. I mean, you know, I, I wasn't in the studio with them. Okay. You know, I just heard it, and I got. I saw the video footage, and I was just like, wow. You know, from you know, the little kid me, 
You yeah. Know? Have you met have you met people or been working with people where you suddenly had that pinch me moment and remembered a moment in your childhood where you were sitting with one. your head? This one was that like on steroids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But art. you've had a chance to work with so many different artists. Like, who would really surprise people with their th- their personality, the way they are one-on-one? I mean, everybody's pretty cool, you know. I mean, yeah, I mean, usually if I do a song with someone, I'm not, I'm not spending a lot of time, you know, I might be in the studio or something. Everybody's will, will an artist ever be brazen enough to to change a musical uh, phrase or a lyric of yours to make it more their own? I mean, you kind of want them to, you know, keep the song as you wrote it, but there'll be times where someone does a song and, you know, they'll change a little something to fit their voice or ask, is it okay if I do this? I mean, of course, it's their record. But recently an artist came in and really rewrote the whole song. I was like, um, no, no, that... You know, <laughs> no. I have to go back to the song that I wrote, you know, and we did. And it's really great. <laughs> wow. What, what was your greatest surprise? What what artist elevated a song to heights that you never thought possible or never dreamed in your I mean, there's been, a, there's been a lot of them. Um, there's been a lot of them. You know, here's mm-hmm. Steven Tyler, you know, on I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. That was one of them. You know, yeah. I mean, there's so many, so many people have done my songs. So, mm-hmm. What's your most covered song? I don't know. You know, I don't know. I mean, a lot of them get covered in different languages and different versions. I don't know. Again, I don't. I don't think I'm always thinking forward, so I don't right. really think about that. So. You know, but, checking the record books. That's stuff that someone online would probably. Think people do covers though. Like I love when when the song's out and seeing you know going on YouTube and like there's some really cool ones of the song of my song I'm seeing EOC. Some beautiful versions. There's some really great versions of the Ringo song, you know. Oh wow! Their guitars and yeah, just on YouTube. Yeah, I love doing shit like that and just seeing those versions. You know, just that somehow a little song I wrote in my room, song I don't know in you know some other country or something, singing it. Wow! Yeah, that must be amazing. And and what what are you must know the lyrics that most touch people because when they see you and they approach you, they must they must quote you lyrics that have really been important to them. You know, yeah, and I'll tell you, you know, I mean, people have tattoos of my song lyrics. Wow. That's amazing. Burke, you know, started the Me Too movement. She has my song, For You, I Will, her and her daughter. have it on her arm. Wow. And then, and one of the songs that people, you know, what, you know, that means a lot to and will come up to me is my song, the song I wrote for Lady Gaga, mm-hmm. Going to You. Um, so many people are touched by that song and tell me what it means to them. Yeah. And you got to work with Joe Biden when he was vice president. Yeah. And I just did a song for, um, for him, for the campaign, you know, even though it's not a political song, I didn't didn't write it for the campaign. It's called the change. Jojo sings it. And then artist, um, Cheska, who's an amazing Latin artist, just did this great Spanish version. It's kind of blowing up now. So that's really great too. And you've and you've been involved in like at least in the past four years, you've, your voice has been more vocal in terms of uh, your your political voice. Yeah. <laughs> and and you've been approached by what's the show that follows people around? I forget. But James. yeah, TMZ. Yeah, TMZ. Yeah, right. So did that come with a certain because you were never really you know before Trump became president, you were always like well, you know whatever. I mean we. 
we I know mean, how we... activist mainly, you know, but yeah, like, you're not, how can you not be, you know, political when it was, when it was that vital of a presence, you know? Yeah, it was essential. And so was there any negative feedback surrounding that? I mean, when I would say stuff about Trump or something? Yeah, like yeah. yeah. A lot. I mean, you're just, not going to get to be Treasury Secretary, I'm telling no. you right now. It's okay. <laughs> no, I would look on, especially on the TMZ things. People are, people are mean, you know? Like, so I don't care, though. I don't really all that. Right. Do you enjoy working with a co-writer or leave me alone? I'm, I don't really write with people much. I'm, I'm a so. Yeah, in the beginning of her career, in order to get placements, she would write with people, but she's launched herself. So yeah, I mean, it wasn't even that. Like there was there, there was some people I wrote with and stuff, and Michael Bolton being one of them. Yeah, which which was cool. He would do songs I wrote as well. So when you're when you're when someone approaches you about a song for a movie, like say Marshall, do you say, "Oh, I've got the perfect song," or do you always, if it's for a film and you would love for it to be an Academy Award considered, yeah, you, have to, you have to write it for the movie? Okay. And are those is that the rule as well? Oh yeah, you can't just throw a song in the movie that exists and, and yeah for an Oscar. The song has to be inspired by that movie. And you said Mar you gave Marshall as an example. Yeah. And, and again, that was a movie. That um, that I read the script just like reading the life ahead, and I can't, I wrote down stand up for something. It all means nothing if you don't stand up for something. And I came in the next day and just listened to "Changes Gotta Come" like over and over again. It's kind of like um, remember that movie? Um, what's the Christopher uh, Somewhere in Time? Yeah, when he puts all those clothes on and to, to go back in time, right? Right. It was, it was it was the the listening version of that. So I wanted to get back to that time, you know, back to that 60s kind of, you know, like, like protest, soul protest. Mm -hmm. You know, and then I had the idea, like, why don't we put a rapper on it? Like, you know, fuck, fuck with genres and times, right? Because rap didn't exist then, right? Yeah. We put, you know, someone, you know, a rapper on there. And then I was on a plane, literally after I thought about that, going to Sundance, I had a song in another movie there, and Common was sitting right behind me. Wow. Singing part of the song. And I and he goes, Get me the song. And I, I as soon as we landed, I got it sent to him. And he caught like I missed ten calls from him that day when he was so excited to do it. So so that was really cool too. Like to to and that song's kind of become like an anthem, you know. It is. And I, I feel like you know, we're in a protest movement period of time and we need songs that were are as good as the songs were in the sixties. Like yeah. we need more great yeah. songs. I think I think stand up for something stands, no pun intended. Stand up yeah. those kind of songs. It really it's a really good song. You know? It it's a gorgeous song. I mean it's very stirring. I love it. I, I think it's one of your best. Thank you. I do too. So you've had all these hits over time and uh uh, are, 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 do you get more certain that something is going to be a hit or is there still the magic of you have no idea what's going to resonate with people and boom, you're as surprised as everybody there's million, else? There's a million things that go into it. Like, I know I've written a hit song, but it has to get promoted. It has to be done by the right artist. It has the right momentum behind them, you know, and then it has to connect with people too. But there's a million things that have to happen before it gets a chance to connect with people. Yeah, you know, there's mm -hmm. just a lot of moving parts yeah. and oh. variables that have to fall into place. If if a, if a great song doesn't work with one artist, will you pitch it to oh, another? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, songs, you know, nothing stops me. If songs not a hit by, by 
my son later, they don't do it or whatever. Yeah, I do it with somebody else. Do you have a favorite song that hasn't been heard correctly yet? I've got a lot of favorite songs that haven't been heard correctly. <laughs> I understand. Here's what I think. I, I'm just going to give you All right. what I think about Academy Award. People are voting for songs who aren't music people, right? Okay. There's, okay, the process to get nominated, okay. which is great, is, is the music branch of the Academy, right? Okay. In that branch, you have the, the best of the best of the best of the best. So when you, when you like, I always say, like, being even being nominated, like, whatever, I've never won, but being nominated 11 times that of the hundreds of movies that, that are released every year, you know, only five are chosen, unlike the Grammys that choose, you know, hundreds of songs in different song categories. So that's such a, that's an amazing thing. So the first step are the nominations. And that, again, that's, you know, just the music branch, right? But then the whole academy, you know, has to vote, you know. Okay. So once it's down to five songs or how many, however, yeah. Now everybody's voting who may not be the musician or in the music yeah. industry at all. And uh, my theory is that they're voting for the song that sounds the most familiar. And yeah, so- or, in or, or, by, or a movie or something like that. Like in the TV Academy, the music branch votes for the, the songs that get nominated for an Emmy and then they vote, you know? Right. It's an interesting thing, like, you know, you know, a lot of people, and, and then, you know, maybe some voters don't know as much about music but, or like, I don't know about what makes co uh, the best costume design really, or what makes the, you know what I mean? So it's- mm -hmm. You know, but yeah, everybody but, gets. A but before they before they cast their vote, do they have to listen to all the songs, or can they just simply? Is anyone checking on that? See, because yeah. what I think happens is that the songs that are on an animated movie have more of a chance because that song is playing in the other room. The kids are playing the movie over and over again, so the the adults who vote they get more familiar with that song. So your song on Ivan may have a better chance than. The Sophia Loren song. I, I I just don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm I'm really proud of that song too, and I, and I love that movie as well. You know, but I don't. You know, who who knows with all this stuff? I mean, look, I'm glad they both got on the short list. I think I think probably the um the one from the Sophia Loren movie you know has more behind it because like the Golden Globe nomination you know, mm -hmm. has more momentum. Um, but, I, but I love both songs. I'm proud of both songs. Right. We just have to make sure everybody hears the song. Yes. So That's, let's come up with a plan. This podcast is going to be the turning point. Don't worry about that. What? We're, this podcast is going to be the turning point. Don't worry about that. All the momentum is going to start from yeah, that. Well, what you were saying about when you guys were, were recommending movies, I mean, I, I would highly recommend The Life Ahead. It's a beautiful, beautiful. We movie. have done that. We have, that has been at the top of our show uh, a month ago when it first came out. We highly recommended it. So absolutely you know, a beautiful film. The kid is unbelievable. The, the, the young boy. So Diane, his eyes like you can't, oh. you don't, you can't. Magnetic. The kid is magnetic. Diane, where can people find the film? Where? It's on. Yeah. It's on. It's on Netflix. You guys. Netflix. I was saying about the, the young boy. He never acted a day in his life before that movie. Where? How did they find him? Like not a day. They found him on the street. Like like I think he was selling things. You know trinkets or something on the beach literally oh somehow someone found him you know and then they saw you know hundreds of kids you know eduardo ponti the director of sofia loren's son the director of the movie and kept being drawn back to him you know and i think that kid is just you know i 
think he's phenomenal. He, he really is. It's so you know, beautiful. It's such tell, a beautiful movie. Say what you want to say about how people can vote for your song if they're Academy I'm members. Supposed, I, I can't. I'm not supposed to be doing that. Oh, you're not. Then I can. But I can. We well, already it, right? did it anyway. Okay. Am I? <laughs> is it? Is it okay if I do it? You can just say whatever you want. If you are an Academy member, vote for Diane Warren's song EOC. It's the most beautiful song you will ever hear. I promise you. And Diane, where can people follow you on social media? Um, I'm, I'm on Instagram. I think I'm at Warren underscore Diane, I think. And then on Twitter at Diane. Yeah. Fuck. What am I? What, what am I? <laughs> that is a great Twitter name. Fuck. What am I? <laughs> am I? Yeah, underscore fuck underscore. What am I? That's what exactly it should be. I think I'm at Warren underscore. What, what am I? Mario? Help me out. I need, I need to find out. It's Diane underscore Warren. That's on Twitter, right? That's on Twitter, yes. And then the yes. other one is at Warren underscore Diane. Oh, you're gone now. Oh, there we, there you are. Oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Oh, oh and there's right. Mouse. Look. Mouse. Oh, mm. so Mouse is a, he is an internet sensation. Very important to hydrate your pussy. <laughs> And that is the kind of content you will get from Diane if you if you follow her online. She is endlessly hilarious. And the Instagram is exactly the same. Diane underscore Warren. So, yeah, that is a definite follow. You want to follow Diane Warren. She is hilarious online. And I just want to thank you for joining us for the podcast. And Amazing. I, thank you so much. I know Diane. you're going to win this year. It's on your dad's birthday. It's, pow <laughs> it's powerful. Thank you. Well, we'll see. What mountain haven't you climbed yet? Would you like to write a Broadway musical? Or I mean, Ooh. I'm kind of a part of one right now, actually. Um, but I, well, I just want to keep doing what I'm doing, just to be honest. You know? I just want to keep doing what I'm doing. I mean, they could do a jukebox musical with your pre-existing songs, correct? Absolutely. There's one, of those, there's one of those in the works, too, with my hits and with some new songs. And there's another one I'm, I'm a part of, so... Yeah. Smokey Diane's Cafe. I see it now. It'll be a Broadway smash. <laughs> that would be cool. That would be cool. <laughs> Thank you so much, Diane. We I love you. It. Thank you so much. Thank you, you guys. Wheezy, I'll see you soon. Let's just, let's mask up and get some coffee. All right. Deal. I love you, honey. Deal. Okay. <laughs> I love Bye, you. Bye-bye. We would love for you to join us online on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at Media Path Pod, and on Facebook, where we are Media Path Podcast. You can find full episodes with all kinds of bonus visual content on our YouTube channel, Media Path Podcast. We would love to know what media you've been enjoying, so you can contact us at our social media, or you can email us at mediapathpodcast at gmail.com. We want to thank our guest, Diane Warren. Our team includes Dina Friedman, Francesco DeManda, John Maddox, Sharon Bellio, Bill Filippiak, Thomas Hubble, and you. I am Louise Palanker here with Fritz Coleman, and we will see you along the media path.